that number one, we must be willing to face the reality of failure. Our failure is guaranteed. If you're breathing, then there's going to be a time in your life when you fail. The most successful people in the world all share the exact same testimony. They've all failed. And the people of God, friend, are no different. Even the people of God fail. Now, to avoid the, becoming a victim of this giant, not only must you face the reality of failure, but you also must face the reasons for failure. And the Apostle Paul last week gave us four of those reasons. Number one, he said we fail now so that we can succeed later. Jesus is all about bringing great reversals in your life. He is all about turning things around, and that includes your failures. So we fail now to succeed later. Paul also mentioned that we fail in the irrelevant so that we can succeed in the important. The weight of the problems you're having today cannot begin to compare to the glory you're going to experience when you're in heaven. You'll look back and you won't even remember them. They're going to be that insignificant. But Paul also taught us that we fail in the temporary so that we can succeed in the eternal. 99% of the problems you have today are going to be ancient history next year. You won't even remember them in this lifetime. We learn through, however, we learn through our relationship with God that the things we learn from Him are timeless, and man, they never fade. Now, we also learned that we fail outwardly so that we can succeed inwardly. We fall down, we get back up, amen? We fall down, we get up, and each time you do that, you get a little bit stronger. And that, friends, is the reason for failure. To make us more like Jesus. So not only must we face the reality of failure, it's going to happen. Not only must we look at the reasons for failure, but we must also face the results of failure. What's going to happen as a result of my failure? you got to resist evaluating success by man's definition. That's exactly what that video was trying to get you to do. Don't evaluate your success by what society or by what culture says. You have been blessed by God, and he wants you to know that there is one thing he asks of you. And that is that you be faithful to do what he has asked you to do. That, friend, in and of itself is the answer to the question that determines the Christian's success. Have you been faithful to do what God has asked you to do? So failure, all in all, works for our benefit. We don't like it, but it's working for our benefit. But when a marriage gets destroyed, when we lose uh, a good job, or when our kids maybe break our hearts, we need a little bit more than just some head knowledge about failure. We need something that we can use to reassure us of the fact that fa failure is bringing a benefit to us. So the Old Testament prophet Jonah is a man who encountered great failure, but he also experienced great success. So if you have your Bibles in Jonah, 
The prophet Jonah, it's on page 817 in your pew Bible. Uh, if you'd like to follow along with me, I'm going to begin actually reading the first and second verse of that chapter because I want to give you a little background about what happened with Jonah. All right? So on page 817 in your pew Bible, in the book of Jonah, chapter 1, verse 1, the Bible says, The word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and cry out against it, for their wickedness has come up before me. But Jonah arose to flee. Now, you know the rest of the story. He fled, and he boarded a ship going the wrong direction. And after he did that, subsequently there came a great storm. And the storm was uh, beginning to tear away at the ship. And all the sailors began looking for somebody to blame. And they all pointed their finger at Jonah because he told them that he was the one responsible because he wasn't being obedient to God. So what they do? They didn't forgive him. They didn't pray over him. They took his tail and they threw him overboard. Amen? They threw Jonah overboard. And subsequently after that, uh, he was swallowed by a great fish. How would you like to spend three days in the belly of a great fish? Well, at the end of chapter 2, uh, something interesting comes up because not only had Jonah offended God, but apparently he offended this fish too because we learned that the Lord spoke to the fish and it vomited Jonah onto the dry land. So as much as uh, Jonah's disobedience turned the stomach of God, it also turned the stomach of this fish. Amen? Uh, but now let's continue to, to read there in chapter 1 or verse 1 of chapter 3. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time, saying the same thing. Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and preach to it the message that I tell you, God said. And so Jonah arose and went to Nineveh, according to the word of the Lord. Now Nineveh was exceeding, an exceedingly great city, a three-day journey in extent. And Jonah began to enter the city on the first day's walk. Then he cried out, and he said, Yet forty days and Nineveh shall be overthrown. So the people of Nineveh believed God, proclaimed a fast, and put on sackcloth from the greatest to the least. Then the word of the Lord, word of the king came from Nineveh, and he arose from his throne, and he lay aside his robe, and he covered himself with sackcloth and ash, sat in ashes. That is, he was very repentant. He was willing to turn uh, from the evil that he had led his nation into. Verse 7 says, And he caused it to be proclaimed and published throughout Nineveh by the decree of the king and his nobles, saying, Let neither man nor beast, herd nor flock, taste anything. That means... A full-out fast, amen? No food. Do not let them eat or even drink. So not only were they fasting from food, they were fasting from water. Verse 8, but let man and beast be covered with sackcloth. Again, that symbolism of repentance and turning from the wickedness and turning to God. And cry out mightily to God. Yes, let everyone turn from his evil way and turn from the violence that is in his hand. In verse 9, the king showed great wisdom, and he said, Who can tell if God will turn and relent and turn away from his fierce anger so that we may not perish? And then in verse 10, we get the, the good news of Jonah's obedience. Then God saw their works. 
that they turned from their evil way. And God relented from the disaster that he had said he would bring upon them. And he did not do it. As I said, it's good to know head knowledge so that we understand failure. It's good to know the reality of failure, the reasons for failure, and even the result of failure. But friends, we need some ammo. You know what we need? We need a six-shooter. We need a six-shooter, a revolver, that we can aim at this giant of failure and blow him away. Amen? That's what we need. So today, I'm going to give you six bullets for your six-shooter. Amen? I'm going to give you some ammo right here from God's Word that will help you to fight the giant of failure. Here's the first bullet for your six-shooter. Acknowledge your failure. That's something that you can do is acknowledge your failure. Friend, it ain't no good to call it something else. It's no good to um, do anything other than call it by its name. What is it? It's failure. That's the name of that giant. So call it by its name. You didn't drop the ball. You didn't make a boo-boo. You didn't have irreconcilable differences in your marriage. Somebody fouled it up and fouled it up big. Amen? Somebody fouled it up big. About the irreconcilable differences in a marriage, let me just confront that for a second. Can the differences in a godly marriage be irreconcilable? Can the differences in a truly God-centered, godly marriage really be irreconcilable? I mean, is God who managed to provide salvation for the entire human race incapable of holding a marriage together? <laughs> Ain't no way, friend. Ain't no way. God is perfectly capable. So what's the problem? We know that marriage never fails. God created marriage to be perfect. So who failed? It's not the marriage's fault. It's the people. The people failed, not the marriage. So let us be uh, understanding that truth. That may sound a little harsh to you. If you've got divorce in your past as I do, that may sound a little bit harsh to you. But friend, truth don't care how I feel. Truth is about setting me free. I need to know the truth no matter how it feels. Living a lie never, ever works. You got to call it what it is. You got to call failure by its name. Then and only then can you move forward. Amen. Then and only then can you move on. And as we begin to face up to our failures, I want you to keep in mind that they're not all sinful. Not all of our failures are sinful. Last week, we talked about Job. He lost his family. He lost his farm. He lost his finances. But Job said, or the Bible says that Job was blameless. That Job was upright. That Job feared God. That Job shunned evil. So he was not being sinful, but he experienced great failure. Amen. Take Jesus the Lord. Consider him for a second. Jesus taken into custody, beaten to a pulp, crucified, executed, and yet Jesus was sinless. Not one failure in his life. And yet he experienced the pain of failure. 
So maybe you failed. Man, you had the, the, the greatest motives, the purest motives. Maybe you had the godliest intentions, but nonetheless, you still failed. Well, failure doesn't always point to sin in your life, okay? However, on the other hand, I want to tell you from firsthand knowledge and experience that if you disobey God, and I have been there, amen? If you disobey God, guess what? Expect failure. If you disobey the Lord, expect failure. So if you make a choice today to disobey God, you don't know when it's coming, but I assure you it's coming. Failure is right around the corner. And you'll have no peace in your heart until you begin to follow the Spirit's direction for your life and begin to realize that only the sin in your life caused your failure. And you got to turn away from that. Amen? So, what is repentance? That's what the Bible calls it. Repentance is by the Bible's way of saying, acknowledge your failure. Realize that you've disobeyed God and that you need to turn back around and start obeying God. So, acknowledge your failure is the first round. The second bullet in your six-shooter is to accept God's forgiveness. Many people have a big problem here. Why? Because they can't forgive themselves. And if they can't forgive themselves, then how in the world is God going to forgive them? Consider this, though. Psalm 103, verse 10, the Bible comforts us by saying, God has not dealt with us according to our sins, nor punished us according to our iniquities. What does that tell us? What does that tell me? It tells me that God doesn't deal with me on the basis of my failure. Instead, praise the Lord, he deals with me in light of his perfect grace. Let us know that as children of God, that he's not so focused on your failure that he can't overwhelm that with his grace. If there's anything that I've learned that's crystal clear about the Father, and that is this, friend, his forgiveness is immense. Forgiveness is God's specialty. I tell you what, if I had a list of all the things he had forgiven me for, it'd be the longest sheet of paper known to man. Forgiveness is God's specialty. So no matter what you've done, no matter how terrible it may seem, you need to realize, friend, that whatever you've done can never outweigh the forgiveness of God. The forgiveness of God is supreme. Amen? All you got to do is come to him, confess and acknowledge your failure, and then accept the forgiveness that God offers you. Here's a third bullet for your six-shooter, and that is we need to apply the lessons of failure toward success. Failure is hard enough when you're going through it. Failure is difficult enough when you're in the midst. Amen? But if you don't learn something from that failure... It's like double jeopardy. If you don't apply what you've learned from your failure, man, it's especially hard. It's especially difficult to go through failure. There is one great redeeming factor about failure. And that is this. We have a chance to learn something. We have a chance to learn something that maybe we would have never learned had we not gone through that failure. Last week, we learned that 
Failure can actually make you more like Jesus if you learn the lessons and apply the lessons to your life. In fact, the great uh, preacher, pastor, A.W. Tozer, once said, it is highly doubtful that God can even use a man or a woman until they have hurt deeply. Sometimes you got to get knocked down before God can even use you. Humility, I believe, is an attribute that God identifies with. And then after we experience the failure, we don't just put those failures out of our mind. No, we try to put those failures to good use. I mean, I don't want to have to go through that and just have to go through that. I want to put it to good use for my future and find out where in the world did I go wrong and how can I avoid it in the future. Jonas Salk. Many of you may or may not know him. Jonas Salk failed 200 times while trying to produce a vaccine for polio. 200 times he failed, but he never looked at it that way. He always said that he simply found 200 ways not to make the vaccine for polio. And then one day he eventually got that, friend. Consider this. You fall down enough times, you fall down enough times and you get back up, eventually you're going to learn to walk just by the process of elimination if you'll just keep getting up from your failure. But there's something else we also must remember, and that is you have to accept failure as a fact of life, but never a way of life. A fact of life, yes. A way of life, no. If you're listening, say amen. Friends, failure is an event, not a person. Failure is something you do, not something you become. If anybody ever tells you that you're a failure, don't you believe it. If anybody ever tells you that you're a loser, don't you believe it. Don't you let anybody tell you that. God don't make no junk, amen? The person that fails over and over and over again basically has convinced themselves that they're a failure. Perhaps they have fallen to this tragic misconception that that's all they can do is fail. But God doesn't see you as a failure. God looks upon you and he says, that's my daughter. God looks upon you and says, that's my son. Don't you ever think that you're a failure. Now, the disciple Peter knew all about failure, didn't he? Jesus warned him about his failure. In fact, he even told him that he was going to have three chances. And then he would blow all three. Peter didn't buy it until it come true. And three times, Peter denied his greatest friend, his master, and his Savior. But praise the Lord, that's only the first act in Peter's play. Because if you know the rest of the story, in the book of Acts, we find that God has chosen Peter to deliver a message. You know, Peter the denier. You know, Peter the failure. God chose him. To deliver a message in which thousands 
would come into a relationship with God through Jesus Christ. He chose the failure. Praise the Lord. He chose the failure. Obviously, something happened. Something happened in Peter. What was it? What was it that happened? Well, if you read the rest of the Gospel of John, we find that there was this beach breakfast in John 21. And there at that beach breakfast of fish and bread, Peter discovered that the forgiveness of God far surpasses the failure of men. If there's any lesson that Peter would tell you if he were standing here today, is he would tell you that God's forgiveness is greater than your failure. From that day on, man, Peter was a new man. He was all excited. He was all jacked up. He was preaching constantly. Peter learned that failure is not final. Peter learned that failure is a fact of life, but it's not a way of life. And we need to remember that as well. Let me give you a fifth bullet for your six-shooter. And that is we need to arise from failure and start again. Not one time in the whole Bible, and I've read this book many, many times, and not one time have I found a place where God recommends wallowing in self-pity to combat the giant of failure. He just don't do it. You can relive your failure over and over again if you want to. But the only wise course of action is to bring your failure before God, acknowledge it, accept that you did it, but then also accept his forgiveness and apply the lessons. And then, friend, get up off of it. Rise up and move forward as a wiser and stronger person. In our account of Jonah here that I shared, we find that Jonah failed miserably. Talk about blowing it. I mean, Jonah failed miserably, but Jonah also suffered the consequences for his failure. Three days in the belly of fish will open your eyes, amen? I mean, that's, that's some serious consequences. How did Jonah fail, though? How did he fail? His greatest failure was that he disobeyed God. Now, you can say, yeah, I need to tell my husband about that. Yeah, my kids, they need to know about that, disobeying God. But if we're looking into the mirror of God's word, we see clearly our own faces, amen, that we've all disobeyed God at some point or another. God sent Jonah to Nineveh to spare that nation and to proclaim the good news. What did Jonah do? He said, I want no part of that. I'm going the opposite direction. Does that sound familiar? If we're looking into the mirror of God's word, does that sound familiar? Oh, Bill's trying to get me lured into vacation Bible school. I'm going the opposite direction. Life groups? <laughs> See you, Bill. That's what we do all the time. We go the opposite direction to what God tells us to do. We say, well, I didn't curse none this week. Well, that's real good. But are you doing what God told you to do? 
Notice what God says in chapter 3, verse 1. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah second time. Amen. And God said the same thing. He said, son, you didn't get this the first time, so I'm going to say it again. Don't make me tell you a third time. Amen. Mama ever say that to you? Don't make me tell you a third time. Came to Jonah the second time and said, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and preach the message that I tell you. And by the way, get on the right boat this time. Amen. And as I mentioned, I think there's probably a lot of good reflection going on in the belly of that great fish. I bet you he was sitting in the belly of that fish and saying, Golly, Moses, if I'd have just obeyed God. If I'd have just went the right direction. If I'd have just obeyed the Lord. I wouldn't find myself in this predicament that I find myself in. Have you ever found yourself in that predicament? Maybe you're not in the belly of a great fish, but it feels like it. Why? Because you disobeyed God? Hey, we've all been there, friend. We've all been there. But now, Jonah is determined more than ever. He's felt the pain of stomach acid. He's felt the pain of going the opposite direction that God sent him. He's felt the pain of disobeying God and he's determined more than ever to be obedient this time. And as a result of Jonah's obedience, I want you to look very carefully to what happened. In a word, success happened. Imagine that. Obey God, success happens. That's exactly what happened. 120,000 Ninevites Turn from their wicked ways under Jonah's preaching. Friend, that's got to be the greatest revival in human history. 120,000 people turning from their wicked ways. Man, if we could get about 300 million in America to do that, we'd be in good shape today, wouldn't we? So do you see a pattern between Jonah and Peter? You got to get up. You're going to fail. You're going to blow it. You're going to foul it up. But you got to get up. You got to start fresh in your obedience to God. And you got to keep on going. Keep on obeying Him day after day. I want to tell you today that you are that close, friend, that close to a spiritual breakthrough. Has your life been spiritually dull? You can probably identify that in direct correlation to your obedience to God. You are that close to a spiritual breakthrough. Many of you may know who Michael Jordan is. Michael Jordan, the great basketball player from the University of North Carolina, great basketball player from the Chicago Bulls, said, I missed over 9,000 shots in my career. That's a lot of points he blew. That's a whole lot of failure. He said, I've lost the game 300 times. He said, in fact, there were 26 times when I was given the opportunity to shoot the game-winning basket, and I missed. I failed. He said, I failed over and over and over again. But you know what? That's why I succeed. That's why I succeed. He said, Jordan said, I found success in basketball not because that I never failed, 
but because I arose after each failure and took another shot. That's what we need to do. When we fail, bring it before God. Acknowledge your failure. Accept the forgiveness of God. Be willing to take a stand and take another shot. Amen? All right. You listen to the voice of God, your, your chances for success grow exponentially better if you'll just obey God. Well, let me give you your sixth bullet for your sixth shooter. And this is a big one. We need to avoid judging failure in others. Avoid judging failure in others. Be very, very careful, friends, about how you look at other people when they fail. Maybe you're hearing me and you're thinking, man, I wish so-and-so was here to hear this sermon. Man, if they were here, they'd change. But this morning, I want you to see yourself. I want you to see yourself in these stories that Jesus told. The first story is about the rich man and the beggar. You see, two men entered the sanctuary. One came down the left side and the other one came down the right side. One is dressed in a sharp suit. Amen. The other one is dressed in rags. It's easy to see which one is successful. But according to Jesus, you're wrong. Jesus says in the next world, that rich man will find that he's already enjoyed the rewards. But that poor man will just be beginning his eternal life filled with the riches of God. The man in the fine suit Boy, he looked successful to the world. But the man in rags, he's successful in God's eyes. See yourself in the story of the Pharisee and the tax collector. As we look around our sanctuary this morning and we see so many beautiful people, we look around and you see this one especially good-looking deacon. Oh, he's looking good. Singing good too, brother. But then over on the left-hand side, we find that there's this cutthroat businessman. Low-down scoundrel. Oh, he'll take you for what you're worth. You know which one's closer to God's heart, don't you? But you'd be wrong. In Luke 18, Jesus tells us about a Pharisee who prayed these eloquent prayers. Oh, he was good. He was a good prayer. As he prayed before the people, you might hear him say, Oh, Lord, thank you for letting me be such a major contributor to the church. Oh, Lord, thank you for using me to lead and disciple these church folks. But most of all, Lord, I thank you that I'm not like that cutthroat businessman. And then with a tear running down his cheek, 
The businessman in that we're speaking of prays, Lord, have mercy on me. I'm nothing but a wretched old sinner. Jesus said only one of those men leaves the church forgiven, and it's not the one you'd expect. See yourself in the story of the Pharisee and the prostitute. Now this one will push the envelope, amen? Jesus is asking you and I to compare a very well-respected religious leader with a common whore. Who are you going to be talking to at the party? When you get to heaven, which one are you going to look up first? The well-respected religious leader or the common prostitute? Jesus said to that religious leader, I visited your home, my friend, and you took me for granted, and you didn't even bring me a pan of water so I could wash my feet. But the woman, this common prostitute, she didn't forget me. She washed my feet not with a pan of water. She washed my feet with her tears. And then she wiped the dust off my feet, not with a towel, but with the hair of her head. You forgot to kiss my cheek when I walked in. But this woman has been kissing my feet repeatedly. She has a whole lot of sins, but every one of them is forgiven. Why? Because her love for God is so overwhelming. Who is the failure? Who is the success? Well, from Jesus' point of view, the successful one was the person who loved God most sincerely, not the person who claimed to know all the answers. So, friend, are you successful? Are you successful in the eyes of God? And you say, well, Bill, I don't know if I'm successful in the eyes of God. How might I know? And I found an interesting verse that speaks directly to that fact. In Joshua chapter 1, in verse 8, God is saying to Joshua, the new leader of his people, and he says, This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate in it day and night, that you may observe to do according to all that's written in it, for then you will make your way prosperous, and then you will have good success. Success is found in obedience to the Word of God. So where do I start, Bill? I ain't never read that whole book. I don't know all the things that God has commanded me to do. Well, let me tell you what God commands you to do to start. In Romans chapter 5, in verse 8, the Bible tells us that God demonstrates His own love toward us and that while we were still failures... Still sinners, Christ Jesus died for us. Much more than having now been justified by his blood, we shall be saved from the wrath of God through Jesus Christ. 
And if we were enemies, failures, every one of us, if we were enemies, we were then reconciled to God through the death of his son, much more, having been reconciled, brought back together with God, we shall be saved by his life. So where do you start? You become a child of God. You give your life to the Lord Jesus. You acknowledge and trust what Jesus did for you. But you know what? Let me just tell you something. How many of you uh, believe that Jesus stepped out of the glory of heaven and came to earth? How many of you? Say amen. amen. All right. How many of you believe that Jesus taught and had a ministry for about 33 years? Okay. And if you don't believe it, just say, I don't believe it. All right. Uh, so we're all in agreement so far. Uh, how many of you believe that Jesus went to the cross? How many of you believe that Jesus died on the cross? How many of you believe that Jesus was buried? How many of you believe that Jesus was raised from the grave three days after that? How many of you believe that Jesus ascended to the heavens? How many of you believe that Jesus is not interceding on your behalf before the Father? Guess who else believes that? The devil. Satan believes all those things that you just professed faith in. And there's one thing that Satan has not, nor will he ever do. He will never turn from his evil ways. That's why in Matthew 4, 17, Jesus said, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Turn from your evil ways, because the kingdom of heaven is at hand. That's where we're different from Satan. God instructs us to turn from our sin and trust in what Jesus has done. And when you do that, friend, you take the first step of faith. And then by doing that, you wipe away all the failure of your past. And then every time a new failure crops up, you know what you do? You acknowledge that failure before God. You then accept the forgiveness of God. You apply the lessons you learn towards success. Then you accept, uh, accept failure as a fact of life, not a way of life. Then you arise from failure and you start again. And be sure to avoid judging failure in other people. If you're ready to take that first step of faith that leads to heaven, God said, Jesus said, I'm the way. I'm the truth. There's no other way to heaven except through me. And friend, if you've never done that, and you walk out of this building, and you're hit head-on by a truck, and you have not placed your faith, turned away from your sin, then friend, you cannot be assured that heaven is your home. I ain't trying to scare you. I'm trying to state the facts. So you need to address that in your own life today. And if today is your day to take the first step of faith, during this song that we're about to sing, I want to encourage you just to come forward. Let me pray with you. I'll just show you what God says about that first step of faith. I won't embarrass you. We'll just pray together and we'll move on from there. You got some failures you need to, to get rid of? Let's pray about it. Let's pray together. Let's gather together and pray. And God will help you overcome that giant of failure. Let's pray.